0: It's been a while since I've had this opportunity and privilege of being in front of you guys. A lot has changed in the Urbina home. Uh, it was just last year that we uh, got a new dog. It was our first pet in the Urbina home. We introduced um, a dog into the fold, and and uh, you know it being our first, there was quite a bit. You know, in terms of a learning curve, in terms of, of training a dog, right? Like behavioral training this dog. And, and it's amazing how many kind of things are out there on, on how to train a dog. You know, do you send the dog away? To, to get trained somewhere else and then they send your dog, you know, back to your house. You get a well trained, you know, behaved dog back at your door in a month or so. I mean that that sounds way too easy, right? And and honestly a bit expensive, you know? Or you kind of take it on, you know, yourself, you know, you're self-taught like we did and kind of venture online to that endless sea of, of YouTube videos that are out there on how to train a dog and all the methods that are out there. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy. You can get lost. Um, and then there's all the stuff you need. You know, you have to get the right food. You know, you got to get the right toys that they're going to play with. You got to get outfits for each and every season. <laughs> I know you're out there. I've, I've seen you with your dog, but... And then there's like, what kind of collar do you need? Is it a prong collar? Is it like a gentle lead? You go full harness or you just go sequence all over the whole thing. What about the e-collar? You know, zap that dog. I know not too many people are fans of it, but don't worry. It worked better on my boys anyway. How about Cesar Milan? Any Caesar Milan fans out there? He does that you know, thing with the dog, and we watched Caesar Milan. but then Rachel started doing that to me when we were in Costco, and I was, like, wandering down the expensive aisle so we don't watch him anymore. And, and then even, like, thinking back, when I was a kid, my dad just used to, used to use, like, a, a rolled-up newspaper, and it seemed to work just fine, and now it's, you know, a spray bottle filled with water and a little bit of vinegar, and, and it's crazy. It totally works. But, you know, I say all this to say, unless you know, you're seeing those positive results, it's really hard to find any confidence in any approach. And we can kind of feel that way about our own Christianity. Like if life is going well and everything's going great, man, we've got all the confidence in the world. But as soon as we enter into seasons of challenge or, or we're, we're struggling in some, you know, spiritual area like trust or temptation, well, man, we can... We can lose confidence and feel uh, frustrated and confused. And one of the most common subjects that leads to this scenario that I'm talking about, it revolves around understanding the will of God. And, and that's our topic that we're going to talk about this morning. We're, we're taking a break from Esther until Rob gets back, and we're going to focus in on the will of God. And I don't know why he always gives me the hardest topics. The last one was tithing that he asked me to teach on. It's like, <laughs> Great. But we're looking at the will of God, and you know, it's it's interesting because really one of the most common questions that pastors and teachers are asked surrounds this topic. Like, how do I know God's will for my life? And what we see is, is out of default, well, a lot of people allow their feelings to lead them in this area. While some maybe find themselves when they think about God's will for their life, paralyzed with fear, like God forbid they would make a decision that would lead them outside of God's perfect will. And I'm sure we can all relate to that, right? We've been there a time or two. Others think, well, since God is sovereign, well, he just controls us all like puppets in a, in a big play. And so it doesn't matter what I think about the will of God. He's just going to do his thing anyway. And in contrast, there are those who hold the mindset that God really controls little to nothing on our day-to-day. But he's more like divine bookends, like he got us going and he'll show up at the end to make sure everything works out okay. But I would dare to make this statement, that there are too many people in the church confused about the will of God. And so our hope here in these moments that we have together is to kind of dig in and, and see what the Bible speaks and lays out clearly about the will of God so that we could find confidence in God's will, so that we could experience the wonderful benefit that there is of God's will in and over our lives, so that we, as the church, can make decisions and assess and discern the situations that life brings us, that we could exercise our faith in a way that pleases God and experience the fullness of joy that we are promised, and that we can even dream big, we can desire great things for God's kingdom, and in all of this, we can have a peace of mind knowing that you are in, that we are in the will of God. Does that sound good? Yeah, yeah of course it does. Okay, so you know, I I really want to also, you know, um, note that I believe this is an area that the enemy really attacks in the life of the believer because. I know that it's his effort to distract and and wreck and often torment us as God's kids, but, but the enemy loves it when there's a lack of confidence and understanding in the will of God or even in God's word when it speaks about God's will because he knows then it's so much easier to orchestrate those thoughts of worry and anxiety that can kind of creep in and drive us away from faith in God towards the fear of man where even the decision-making process, which is something that we do on a daily basis, well, even in that, we can sometimes feel stuck and crippled and, and even crushed if it's a big decision or not. So so how do we do this? How, how do we go about finding this confidence in the will of God? How does it work, this divine collaboration uh, with His will and our free will? Well, first... We're going to need some information. We're going to dig in to see what the Bible teaches about the Word of God. And in fact, the Bible speaks a ton about the Word of God. Two wills in particular. First, God's predestined will we're going to look at. And then we'll also look at God's presented will. Okay, God's predestined will and God's presented will. So let's go ahead and start with God's predestined will. Now, you guys have probably heard this uh, you know, used as the term uh, his sovereign will or his secret will. But what we need to know about this type of will is that this is a will that nobody can stop or control apart from God. This will, his predestined will, is a will that nobody can stop or control apart from God. Listen to these examples. I'll put them up on the screen for you romans nine nineteen through twenty for who has resisted his will, but indeed, O oh man, you are who you who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him, who formed it? why have you made me like this? So here um, God is actually speaking about salvation. He's he's talking about the the people that he chooses to save and sh- and show mercy to. And so this question kind of is out there, hey, well, well, can it be resisted? You know, can can somebody tell and control who God saves and whom he shows mercy to? Of course not. Also, in Acts 16:6, 6, Luke writes, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, speaking of Paul and those who were with him, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And so we see God clearly halted and kind of vetoed the apostles' desire to go into Asia to preach the gospel. And we think, well, why would he do that? I mean, preaching God's word and, and, and this dynamic group, why would he hold them back from doing that? But we see in hindsight that it was God's will to control this opportunity for the sake of bringing the gospel first into the area of Macedonia. And we read the Acts account as Paul goes through Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. Man, how powerfully God's spirit moved through them. And and even the account that we have here in Acts itself, how much it ministers to us. So, So we see that God had this plan predestined that was playing out in the life of those apostles. But you know what? God's will is playing out in our lives today. His predestined will is playing out much in the same way. He's divinely appointing people and places and positions. He's appointing our seasons of life and the trials that we face. He allows success f- and failure. Uh, he's opening doors. He's closing doors. God is at work, and there is probably most certainly So much more that is even unknown to us that God's will has divinely orchestrated in our lives for our good and for His glory. But the greatest example that we see in Scripture of God's predestined will coming to pass is in the life and the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. In John 4.34, Jesus explained, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. And also in John 5, Jesus said, I can of myself do nothing as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And again, in John 6, he said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. So very clear, we see Jesus, he didn't have his own agenda, but instead he was fulfilling predetermined, predestined plans and the purposes of his Father in heaven. And we see throughout the Gospels, you know, certain things are happening, you know, through the life of Jesus and the trial and the crucifixion that, that were God's predestined will coming to pass. Like even in that moment where those, those soldiers are like casting lots over his garment at the foot of the cross, even something so small, we see that was even... You know, prophecy being fulfilled. And and throughout Scripture, you see it, maybe it's in all caps in your Bible, where it says these things occurred, or these things happened, or these things came to pass to fulfill scripture. Well, what is that? That is God's unthwarted, sovereign, predestined plan coming to fruition. The way that Jesus suffered and died on the cross, his burial. His resurrection from the dead and all those events surrounding those things—all a part of God's will and redemptive plan and under His sovereign control. And you know what, friends? In the same way, just as God orchestrated all of that, hey, in that same fashion, just as Jesus now has declared to you and I of His return, His return, we can be rest assured. In the same way, his word will come to pass. Jesus is coming back. And to that, I say, Jesus, come quickly. Amen. My son's about to get his driver's license, so Jesus, <laughs> come quickly. But this is an element of God's will that, that we, as, as the body, we need to understand. Nothing can hinder it. Nothing can stop or change it. Nothing can control it but God himself. <laughs> Lastly, Psalm one. Fifteen, verse three, kind of really—I mean—it sums up this idea that we're talking about here. It simply reads, "But our God is in heaven, and He does whatever He pleases." And you know, I love to learn the facts and to come to a, a greater understanding, you know, of who God is and what He's called me to do. But but there are moments, there are times. Hey, there's even verses like this that remind me, God. You are up there, I am down here, and you will do what you please. And so as disciples of Jesus, we need to know and be informed about this will, but not worried about it. We need to know about God's predestined will, but we do not need to be worried about it. And, and what I mean by that is, for instance, thinking about how your life will end. Well, of course, we can't know these things, but God does. Or how long will we live? Well, the Bible says that our days are already numbered and determined by God. We don't need to worry about these things because, again, we will not know until it happens. And by the grace of God, then we'll be looking at Jesus face to face with Jesus. We do not need to worry now, that lady that calls me three times a week and asking about my car's insurance warranty, I don't know if she calls you. She can worry all she wants. But when it comes to God's will, we do not need to worry about these things. It is under his control. And if we can believe and respect this truth that we're talking about today, listen, church, we can find great peace in the will of God. And what I mean by this is we need to be very careful that we do not allow ourselves to disrespect the will of God and those things that we just do not understand. Downplaying principles like predestination or criticizing God's sovereign ways with our cynical views. And I've been there before thinking, man, God doesn't care. God doesn't, he's not concerned about my day-to-day or even thinking in the midst of suffering Man, if God was so good and he loved me, why is this happening to me now? Now, it's true, there is much that we do not understand. Much that might be hard to comprehend, but let us respect respect the fact that the Bible teaches not, not only is God in control, but he continues throughout the generations to orchestrate things, to work out ultimately for our greatest good. And the Bible teaches that that's his greatest pleasure, is seeing that good play out in our lives. And let us remember, as the Scripture reminds us, that, that even without God, we are insignificant pieces of clay. We are insignificant. Here in Isaiah 45, 9, God kind of rhetorically asks, does the clay argue with the one who shapes it? Does anybody like argue and say, hey, excuse me, God, hey, you're doing this wrong. No, of course they don't. But maybe, you know, hearing that might sound a little crazy, but man, that attitude can totally creep in. Especially when we're in the midst of a challenging situation. But a humbling reminder in all reality that we were formed from the dirt. And there's great insignificance when we think of that. That we are just dirt. We're clay in relation to the potter. Only moldable and usable because the God of this universe decided to take us, shape us, and now use us for his honor. And that is providence, my friend. That is God's providence. And there are many other passages in the Bible that, that speak of and remind us that within his predestined will, God's providence over the universe extends from the smallest detail of nature to even our own personal decisions within our own heart. Matthew chapter 10, 29. Not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from our Father in heaven. Man, it's so insignificant. But he's involved. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. In Proverbs 16.1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. It's true, there's much about God and his ways that, that seem to, to stretch us but it does not change the fact that God has predetermined plans that he will accomplish. His providence is at hand, and his will must be respected. So God's predestined will, that's first. Second, let's look at God's presented will. And we, we need to understand that this is a will that we not only need to know about, but this is a will that we need to be concerned about. And why is that? Well, because if his predestined will is something that is afar off and hard to understand, maybe secret, not entirely known to us, well, his presented will, or sometimes referred to as his revealed will, well, this is a will that has been given to us through his commandments already in his word. He's already given us his presented will throughout scripture. But the other difference, much like with what we see in Scripture, is that this is a will that can be ignored. His presented will can be ignored and rejected and disobeyed, just like all the other commandments that God gives us throughout Scripture. An example is where God, through the Apostle Paul, he tells the church that it's God's will for them that they would be sanctified, that they would would be free from sexual immorality. Well, if if you were to jump in and give yourself over to this sexual idolatry and immorality, well, then you would be ignoring, rejecting, disobeying God's presented will. And this section of Scripture is not just for them there in Thessalonica way back when, but this is for us too. God communicates His will to you and I. And what is that? It's that we are sanctified. That we too, as his church, live lives that are free from sexual immorality and and exercise discipline and self control over our mind and bodies. That's his will for you. That's his will for me. Another example is there in 1 Peter chapters 2 and 3, where, where Peter focuses on everybody's favorite subject of submission, right? Peter talks about submission to government. And human institutions, of course, the right ones, not just obeying them into sin. He talks about uh, submission to masters or employers and how to be a good and gracious employee. And he also goes into the relationship between a husband and wife. He talks about that interaction and, and how we are to have submissive hearts towards each other. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, of course, never into sin and ultimately Peter talks about our submission unto God and his authority. And and we see very clearly in that section of Scripture that God's desire, his will, is that his people be marked by submission and obedience. We're marked by submission and obedience to the right things the right way and at the right time. Another one, God's will, his presented will, is that you and I suffer faithfully and if you endure suffering for your faith that you do it well. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 17 reads for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than doing evil. In 1 Peter 4:19, therefore he writes, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls in, to him in doing good as to a faithful creator so we read these verses and we have to understand and, and know that we could never say, God, it's not your will that I suffer. And I'm sure we've all had moments where we've had to endure some suffering. I mean, suffering in general, that's a hard one, isn't it? In relation to God's will. You know, whether if it's us or maybe somebody close to us, we're watching them go through a hard time or an illness and they're suffering. And we we can ask, like, why, God? Like, why are you allowing this to happen? I just don't understand. But again, you see, it's in this truth of God's will where you and I as the believer, where we can find peace even in the midst of that suffering or even that confusion over why it's taking place. On one hand, we need to know the assurance of God uh, we need to I'm sorry, we need the assurance of God's predestined will, knowing that He is in total control, meaning that He is able to work out all of that pain and suffering for a purpose that is good. And on the other hand, we need to understand and know that God empathi- empathizes with us. We need to know that that He doesn't delight in sin or pain in and of themselves. But instead, as we find ourselves in those valleys, well, guess what? We find that he is there too. He is there with us, leading us and comforting us and giving us a special peace. For instance, if you were abused as a child and somebody were to ask you, well, do you think that that was the will of God? Well, you now have a way to make some biblical sense out of this and give an answer that doesn't contradict the Scriptures. You can say, no, it was not the will of God because God commands that people love one another and are not abusive. The abuse broke his commandment and therefore it moved his heart with anger and grief, as sin often does. But in another sense... Yes, it was God's predestined will, because although there were a hundred ways that he could have stopped it, for reasons that I do not know, he did not. But I believe there is a day that is coming where we all will understand. And so we see understanding God's will as something that we need as we live in this fallen world and are affected by it collectively deal with these issues of pain and suffering, and seek God's peace that the Bible says somehow surpasses our own understanding. And yet, in all these things, we see that it is God's presented will that we are a people who rejoice, who pray, and give thanks. 1 Thessalonians five sixteen and 18, well, it says that literally, that Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Again, all examples of God's presented will, He has revealed to us by His Word. We can hear it, see it, read it, and either do it or not. And this points to the fact that God never forces His will on anybody. He clearly presents his will so that we live our lives as Romans 12.2 in a way that proves that his will is good and perfect. But he will never force his will on anybody. And the last one we're going to look at today is, is one that we encourage often. We see that it is the will of God that we, as the church, are filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.17 and 18 Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And we see that it's His Spirit that guides us in truth and enables us to be good witnesses, allows us to bear fruit that will last. And in Galatians, we see that if we are filled with God's Spirit, that we won't carry out the evil deeds and the desires of our flesh and again, church, these verses, and so many more they 've been given to us god 's will has been presented to us for our daily spiritual benefits and so that 's the information that we 're going to go over on this topic god 's presented i 'm sorry god 's predestined will we talked about that his presented will, but now let 's talk about application. how do we apply this to our lives and Quickly answering that common question, how can I know God's will for my life? Well, we need to be students of God's word. God's will is found within his word, and we need to be in it. We need to meditate on it, whether it be in church or Bible study, our own devotions, a podcast you listen to, maybe even if you're memorizing it, whatever the case, we need to be intaking God's word on a consistent basis. That's first. Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, Paul encouraged, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And friends, that's what God's word does. I heard a pastor say that if there is not transforming going on, then we are being conformed by this world around us. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and that comes by way of being in God's word. Sometimes we think we've got to behave better first, right? Right? to then show some devotion, but it's the other way around. It's backwards. We need to be devoted to his word and allow this living, powerful word to do what it's meant to do, to change us from the inside out. We need to be students of his word to know his will. And secondly, we don't need to be afraid of God's will. We don't need to be afraid of it. And here's what I mean. Uh, Think of yourself maybe in a uh, recent decision. You've got this decision before you. You know, usually, this usually happens around those larger decisions, and it probably pertains to your job or to a move or a large purchase. Maybe it's got to do with family, your kids, the school. Whatever the case, we've all been there before, and as we ponder this decision, then we start to freeze up, experience that, that bit of worry like, And what if I make the wrong decision, right? We've all been there. And of course, and and hopefully we are in prayer, asking God for wisdom and discernment. But secretly, we're like, God, just tell me what to do already. Tell me where to go, and I'll go, and I'll do it. Give me that one door. But now there's 10, huh? And they all look great. Like, what do I do? And listen, we can sometimes suffer worrying ourselves to pieces and maybe even paralyzed by some fear with the thought that we're going to make this wrong decision. We're going to be outside of God's will. God forbid. But when you think about that logic, and you have to, it's good for us to, you need to understand. It's, it's almost like we're saying that if we choose the wrong door, that God set up booby traps on the other side of the wrong doors, that, that then they would go off in our face. But friends, this is not the heart of the Father. Again, trying to think through, we know God and his character through his word. We see instead, he's not waiting for us to mess up so he can inflict some instant punishment when we step out of line. No, instead he wants nothing more than to see his bride flourish in faith and be strong in righteous confidence. We have no need to be afraid of his will. And you know what? Again, I believe that this is where the enemy works to keep us bound up and held back by fear. He wants to keep us from experiencing the true freedom that God has given as we go along our way and make the decisions of life that we all must face. So as we pray, as we abide, as we seek God and godly counsel for wisdom and direction, friends, we can confidently take steps of faith in the directions that we feel led. We don't need to be worried about stepping out of God's will. And we, when we even think about it, and fatherhood has, has taught me so much about this. In that, if in the scenario that if my kids were to make some wrong choice or wrong decision, I wouldn't step in in wrath and anger, but instead I would be there stepping in in love out of my kids, wanting them, you know, to turn them back towards a safer direction or what is good. And our Father in heaven is the same way, coming in out of love and grace, wanting to steer us to what. Is best, And this kind of sets up my last point, that living in God's will, well, it takes an active faith. Living in God's will takes active faith on our part. Our faith isn't something that we are to admire, like a trophy, or polish like a plaque, hang on a wall. But instead, our, our faith is meant to be stretched, right, and challenged. I mean, the terms the Bible uses is tested, tried and tested. So I want to look at these verses from Hebrews. I'm going to have them put up on the screen. And I want you to see where this author places our role in relation to God's will. The first one, Hebrews 10.36, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And then in chapter, or Hebrews chapter 13.20 and 21, now may the God of peace who brought up Our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. So you see that common denominator there. As he describes our relationship to his will, he makes it very clear that we are to be doing his will. It's an active business to follow after Jesus. To be honest with you, this is an area of my life that I've been challenged with, that I've been challenged in. Stepping out even though success is not guaranteed. Stepping out even though the way hasn't been proven. Or stepping out even though failure is a possibility. But that's an element of our faith, isn't it? Having confidence, Hebrews 11 tells us, that what we hope for will in fact happen. Having the, uh, the assurance in the things that are unseen, not the things that are seen, not relying on our sight alone. And yeah, if God doesn't show up, it would be a complete and utter failure. But this is faith. And that faith is not based on me or you and our skill but our faith rests solely on a faithful God who continues to prove over, over, and over again that He is faithful and He is true, and He will never let us down. And as the Bible draws that line in the sand for us and makes the statement, "Without faith, it's impossible to please God," I ask you the same question I asked myself: Does my faith match the confidence that I see in these verses? exercising and even unleashing a daily faith in the same God who raised Jesus from the grave in those decisions big and small and for me well this is I'm working on this I'm working on this in the same way that I'm I've made it my life's work to be like Jesus And that it's my pursuit to love my beautiful wife the way that Jesus loves. These are things that I am working on. This is my aim and this is my pursuit. But friends, living in the will of God takes faith. It takes faith, an act of faith. And with most of the decisions that we make as believers, I think it's safe to say, man, God cares more about being involved in the process than he does probably with most of those decisions just wants to be a part he just wants to help and i think we can falter in thinking the op- the opposite and get hung up on those option on those doors you know should i stay should i go that job this job you know i'm sure with most scenarios god's like man i'll bless you there or i'll bless you here whatever you do i'm never gonna leave you i'm never gonna forsake you Now, I need to make something clear. This encouragement that I I give to you guys today, well, it comes with a caveat. If you are not walking with Jesus, you do not have a relationship with him or have surrendered your life over to him, pursuing him with your whole heart, I cannot give you this advice with any confidence. And here's why. Because the Bible teaches without renewal that comes from salvation, well, our heart and mind are compromised. They're corrupted by deceitful desires and they're influenced by our flesh and this world around us. But let this be an encouragement to you. After hearing all these benefits that that we receive as a part of God's family, finding peace of mind in the decisions of our life, feeling confident, that you have God at your side and his spirit helping and healing and inspiring you, hey, this is not an exclusive or private club. This invitation is for anyone to turn from that way of life and simply believe and ask Jesus to come into your heart, to come into your mind and change you, renew you, begin to lead you and as we've discussed, and be in his will. I believe that that is God's will. I can confidently say, if this is you to make that decision today, this is God's will for your life. And the last thing that I want to sh- that I want to share, it has to do with vision. and And when I talk about vision, I, I don't want to complicate it. I don't, you know. Um, I hope, hopefully, I'm not being misunderstood. I talk more practically, not mystically. I mean, it is amazing that that God can give a man or a woman vision. And he communicates to people this way. But again, what I'm talking about is less mystical, more practical in terms of how God can enter these thoughts and ideas into our mind or, you know, show us a picture or a person. But I need to back up a bit because right before COVID hit, Rachel and I had been kind of thinking about moving out of California you know, we had some family that had moved out of California. And, you know, they kept sending us listings, you know, where they were living at. And we were just like, whoa, that's amazing. And, and we started kind of thinking through that process. And, and uh, you know, we started to pray. We started to, to spend time and asking for wisdom. And then all of a sudden, you know, a forced job change came. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this is the perfect time to do this. And it was right around that time when I came across... This verse near the end of 1 Corinthians. and Maybe you guys know it's where Paul, he's communicating his traveling uh, plans. And and he mentions needing to stay in Ephesus because God had opened up this great and effectual door for Paul. And although, you know, there was going to be challenges, Paul notes that there was opposition there. Well, God gave this vision to Paul to illustrate this opportunity. That he had for him there in Ephesus. And and I remember reading that and it stuck with me, and I couldn't get it out of my head. And and eventually I, I started understanding God was asking me this question as I went through the pros and cons of 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 you know staying or leaving, and the list of leaving was really long. It continues to get longer and longer, I know. But he asked me, How valuable is this door that I've opened for you here in California? here in North County, here at Calvary Vista. How, how valuable is that, that door that I've opened for you? And as Rachel and I started to think through that, I, I was overwhelmed with these thoughts, thinking uh, of how much he's taught us, how much he's grown us here. I was humbled in the opportunities where I was able, able to, to share what I've been taught with other people. And even feel that love myself. I mean, to be used despite of ourselves, is, it's a mystery I still don't understand, but it's, it's a blessing. And this is one of those occasions that I realized where God's predestined will and his presented will were working together. He had put us here in this moment, but also provides and presents opportunity to use us. Just like Esther. I mean, we've been reading of this crazy story about, you know, God placing this family, placing her and her uncle in this situation. And if you remember, I think it was last week where we talked about Mordecai coming to Esther and he's like, man, God's going to save his people. That's his plan. And he's going to do it with you or without you. He's placed us here for such a time as this, in this city, in this moment for a purpose. And a reason. And you know what? I think we need to realize, as crazy as that story is, really that principle applies to us here today. That God's predestined will has placed us all here in this room, here this morning, for a purpose and a reason. See, God's desire is to save the lost, to draw all mankind to Himself. And apart from those who reject that, listen, God's will will be completed his plan will come to pass but for such a time as this i know that i have been placed here in this moment for this season to be used by god to accomplish his plan and i don't know maybe that's you here today that we my prayer is that that we would hear from the lord to understand that purpose, that he would make that purpose known to us individually and collectively. Because I have to tell you something, I mean, the amount of amazing churches we have in this area, I think God's got a plan for North County. I think he wants to to do something. And we're surrounded by churches that have amazing missions and visions that fall in line with that biblical truth. I know here at Calvary Vista, our, our mission is to know Jesus and make him known. And the vision is threefold. The vision is threefold that that our lives would bring God glory, especially the way that we interact interact with our our surrounding culture. And secondly, that we would create an environment, a worship-filled environment to grow and be disciples of Jesus. And then thirdly, that we would interact with this culture in the best way that makes Jesus, his name, famous. We would be great representations of Jesus to our neighborhood and our communities. And again, there are so many amazing churches around us, and God wants to do something here. I wonder if he has us to play some role, to play some part. And I say this because I feel it's relevant to talk about vision. Solomon, in his God-given wisdom, said, Where there is no vision, the people perish or translated, the people just fall away. And I feel that there are those of us that are faced with that decision just like my wife and I, moving away from this immoral bent and financial strain that is taking place here in this great state. And hey, maybe he is calling you away. I mean, that in itself is a huge step of faith. And to not listen to him when he's telling you to go Well, man, he's just going to bring a U-Haul truck to swallow you up like Jonah and drive you to Florida. you got to listen to him if he tells you. But the beautiful truth and working of God's perfect will, may it bring us peace and comfort, knowing that he is in control. He's greater than any challenge that you and I will face today or tomorrow. And may God give us, as his church, a desire for his word, that he would speak to us and give us that direction, fill us with wisdom and equip us to be used. And may he grant us fresh vision if that's what's needed, a fresh vision to come to a better understanding of what he is calling us to do in this moment, whether if it's at home, raising kids, whether if it's at work, or at school, with your spouse, with your children, your grandchildren, with your friends, co-workers, maybe even people here in this room, whatever it is, may he give us that vision, and may his perfect will be done. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your perfect will in and over our lives and the assurance that we can have that you will never let us down. But that plan, that perfect plan, it leads to our good, ultimately to be with you forever. And Lord, on this day where we remember those men and women who gave that ultimate sacrifice for us here in this country Lord, it's your sacrifice that truly sets us free. And in that, Lord, uh, under that banner of of love now that we live under as your beloved, we just, like we sang earlier, Lord, we have so much gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we ask for your wisdom and for your vision. God, we want nothing more than for you to direct our steps. And so we submit everything before us to you, all of the decisions to you. And for those of us that are far off from you this morning, Lord, we do pray that as they have heard all of these amazing benefits that you offer as our Savior, that you would fill them with a great supernatural desire for that freedom, for that care and that love. And we pray that you would meet them here today as they simply would ask you to come into their lives to forgive, to cleanse, to heal, and to renew that right spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen.